So besides the rodeo stuff, I really enjoyed starting colts and training. And uh, so I kind of started my own business when I was in seventh grade of uh, starting two-year-olds for people and riding problem horses that, that neighbors and stuff had, um, horses that needed work on the ranch or, or whatever. And that really was my passion. Um, the team roping was, I would say, secondary to that. Um, so the horsemanship side of it has always had a, a maybe a larger priority to me than the actual performance um, or competing. This is Chelsea Schaefer, and this is season four of The Score. You all have listened to this podcast three quarters of a million times, and we are here in season four to bring you even more of what you love. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Score. This is season four. I am talking today to my friend Brad Barkmeyer. I first met Brad with Horse and Rider On Demand, so I'm not sure if you know, uh, but I spend about a quarter of my time working for Horse and Rider Magazine, which is owned by our parent company, the Equine Network. Um, I'm the editorial director for all of our brands, but I, uh, I get to spend a lot of time working with Horse and Rider and learning about the training principles that they teach with Horse and Rider On Demand. Brad is one of our founding experts there, um, and so we get to do a quarterly video shoot with Brad. He's an NRCHA trainer. Uh, he shows in the cutting. He shows in the reining. He works with non-pros, and he also team ropes. His background is very, very diverse, and that makes him an awesome, awesome teacher. And so I've gotten to spend quite a bit of time with Brad over the years, learning from him, doing photo shoots, doing video shoots, and I'm excited that he is here with us today on The Score. Enjoy. Today's episode is brought to you by Ecolux Bamboo Gear by Weaver Leather. I'm going to tell you more about this awesome product at the commercial break. Hi. Hi. How's it going? Oh, it's good. It's Perfect. Silly. Can you hear me good? Is it okay? I didn't I didn't expect you to have your camera on, so I wasn't going to have my camera on. I just came oh. from the gym, so I don't know Sorry. how to I don't know how to not have it on, so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay i'm just apologizing for the hoodie and the oh, no i like it tassel <laughs> makes me more comfortable bar. <laughs> good welcome to my dining room <laughs> welcome to my office your, your background actually, looks so <laughs> actually mindy it looks like an awesome horse trainer's office you guys there's like a code for what horse trainers offices are supposed to look like and and that's it. All right. <laughs> awesome. Well, we are recording. It should be working. Thank goodness. So I am glad you are here, Brad. We have been wanting to do this for a while, and you've been on our other podcast, The Ride, with Nicole and Michaela. But this is the first time on The Score talking to team ropers. Yeah. You, uh, I'm excited. I really appreciate you having me on. Of course. Now, you can tell the truth. Have you ever listened to the score? I have not. Man, breaking my heart. No, it's okay. Not really. You're fine. <laughs> I, I always uh, like the posts you do about it and uh, yeah. kind of read through the topics. So uh, I'm a little bit familiar with it that way. But yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, that you're, you're forgiven, Brad. It's okay. You're a busy man. <laughs> what percent? Okay. So let me start this way. 
give us a background. You are from Montana. Tell me how you grew up. Is that is that true? You're from Montana originally? Mm-hmm. Yep. Where Whereabouts in Montana? So I grew up in a little town east of Billings called Huntley. And uh, mm-hmm. my family had a ranch and, and custom feedlot there. Um, fourth generation kind of deal. So it was passed down. Uh, my great-grandfather started the operation and then it kind of got expanded through my dad's generation. And so we had a cow-calf operation, some, some farming, dry land and irrigated farm ground, and a custom feedlot. So how much time did you spend in the feedlot as a kid? Did, were you riding pens a lot? What, yeah, what was it? that was probably my first um, experience riding was just riding pens with my dad and checking for sick cattle. And, and it was uh, probably a really good way to learn because it's kind of a controlled environment. You know, you got the fences keeping things from getting too fast other than that being really, really cold most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was good. I, I spent quite a little time there and um, learning the, the business and, and finding my passion for horses. That's awesome. So what kind of horses were you riding in the feedlots back then? What did your parents have you on? Yeah, so I had just the old uh, quarter horse geldings that were um, had been there, done that kind of horses that were safe. And uh, I always tell people the best gift my parents never gave me was a pony because I always had really <laughs> good horses uh, not as far as talent wise goes but they were um, well behaved and I didn't ever have to go through that phase of riding a spoiled pony and getting rubbed off on the fences and that kind of stuff <laughs> right yeah lucky you <laughs> lucky you <laughs> <laughs> but we just had we just had your typical like ranch ranch type horses my mom and dad team roped a little bit but uh as far as arena experience goes there was not a lot of that growing up um till i don't know maybe i was 10 or 11 when my dad was he started being a pickup man for one of the nra the the amateur rodeo association up there and that kind of drew us more towards the performance arena a little bit. So he started getting horses that were a little more designed for that kind of work. Gotcha. So were you, um, so when did team roping become part of what you did? Was that something that you did after the cow horse stuff or, or tell me when did it, when did it come into play? No, well, that was kind of the first thing. I mean, besides roping out on the ranch and, you know, at brandings and doctoring cattle, um, my parents also team roped a little bit um, through the feedlot association mostly, which was w- before USTRC or any of those handicap systems became involved. So those were always good family oriented events and um, got to know uh, a lot of people around that were doing those, those kind of events. And obviously with going to the amateur rodeos with my dad as a pickup man, we got to watch a lot of the, you know, calf rope and team rope and which I was intrigued with plus we had friends that were rodeoing and so that just kind of became a natural fit where we wanted to start doing that my brother and I and uh, started do, doing the junior rodeo stuff with the flag race and the goat tying and all those events and then eventually high school rodeoed and rope calves and team roped with my brother. So were the try-ins like in your age range for the high school rodeo stuff? Did you have oh, to compete against them? 
luckily they were younger. So I got out of there without having to butt heads with those guys. <laughs> their dad was, <laughs> that would be yeah, their dad was a force to be reckoned with. Um, so we were able to watch him a lot, you know, as we were growing up and knew that those kids were going to come up and be really wolfy. So it was, yeah, it was fun being around that, that group of guys. How did you decide then that you weren't, or, or did you want to be a professional team roper and ended up a professional cow horse trainer? Tell me how that path evolved. So besides the rodeo stuff, I really enjoyed starting colts and training. And uh, so I kind of started my own business when I was in seventh grade of uh, starting two-year-olds for people and riding problem horses that, that neighbors and stuff had, um, horses that needed work on the ranch or, or whatever. And that really was my passion. Um, the team roping was, I would say, secondary to that. Um, so the horsemanship side of it has always had a, a maybe a larger priority to me than the actual performance um, or competing uh, arena. So um, starting off with that through high school, you know, I was able to uh, ride horses for the public and make some money doing that uh, to help pay for college and those kind of things um, with no intention of becoming a professional horse trainer or a rodeo competitor. Uh, my whole thing was to get through college and get a good job and work somewhere in the agricultural sector to try to um, just carry on that. And I felt like a bit of a tradition, family tradition to stay in that industry. Uh, so I went to college at Montana State University in Bozeman and uh, had a lot of scholarships for agriculture and, and uh, was very active in FFA and 4-H all the way through school. So all of those things played into uh, building my resume, so to speak, to get to college and, and uh, like I say, find my career path there. Um, so along the way, while I was in college, uh, I got a job with a guy named David Avery, and he and his wife had a horse training facility there in Bozeman. And so I was able to clean stalls, you know, when I didn't, didn't have class and uh, started working there second semester and got to see, uh, the horse show side of things kind of for the first time. I mean, I'd been around a little bit of 4-H horse show stuff that never really interested in me. Um, but those guys were doing performance events like the cow horse and the and David was showing roping horses at, at the American Quarter Horse Association shows, uh, taking horses to the world show and they were in, involved in the reining. And so all of those performance events, I got kind of a, uh, introduction to um, and uh, worked my way up there you know clean stalls and help you know um, start colts and stuff like that for them while i was in college and it kind of uh, the roles somewhat reversed from there I, I started making the horse training deal a little bit more of a priority and um, that's that's the way it ended up so did you finish school I did, yes. And actually, I, I waited until um, I, I didn't make my decision on, on horse training as a career right away. So I got through college and, and actually had an opportunity to uh, take a job with the National Cattlemen's Association in Washington, D.C. at their policy office. 
And uh, it came down to me and one other person for the final interview, and I didn't end up getting that job. So that was kind of like uh, destiny telling me, uh, hey, this isn't for you. You got to go do something else. <laughs> and so I took that um, as a sign, I guess, and moved to New Mexico and continued working with David and in training roping horses for a living. Yeah. Very good. And so how much has have rope horses been a part of your operation since you've, you know, as your career has developed, how, what portion of your business is rope horses now? Gotcha. It's, it's probably a, a third, I would say maybe it fluctuates, you know, the rope horse deal. Um, we have a quicker turnover, so we have more horses in and out. And so it cycles more often. Um, the cow horses tend to stay longer in the program. So, um, the two-year-olds and the rope horses are the numbers that fluctuate the most. And so the, those numbers change often. But my first introduction into professional horse training was strictly roping. And we, we trained for the quarter horse shows primarily, um, calf roping and team roping horses. And mm -hmm. I worked with David for four years in Roswell, New Mexico. And uh, what was a really good place to be. Um, for my first job. He was a great instructor, taught me a lot about the business and ge geographically it was, it was a cool place to be coming from Montana. We were, you know, 500 miles from Denver, Phoenix and Dallas. So we were kind of in a good spot that way. And we traveled a lot, got to meet a lot of the guys that were really successful and that we all looked up to, to, to try to simulate and, and make our horses be better. So that, that was fun. Um, but about that fourth year, I realized that I wanted more than just the roping and shoot as specialized as everything is today, each event, you could be, you know, specialized in that particular event. If you wanted to just train head and horses right now, you probably could make a decent living at it, you know, and the trainers 20 years ahead of me, they had to ride everything. They had to ride pleasure horses and have halter horses in the barn and rope horses you know, so the diversity is was a, was a lot more spread out, I believe, at that time. Now that things are more specialized, everybody's kind of funneling into their um, specific events, and that's one of the things I've really tried to hold on to was maintain some diversity and maintain some uh, variations in the training to where I can combine them because a lot of the things cross over but yet each of each of the events have their own specific finer points that that are we're working towards to make better horses yeah it's funny we've done so much i mean of course over the years we write trevor's column and he really talks about him and miles baker who just was on the last podcast that that they like their row horses started just specifically to be rope horses. They don't want a cow horse reject or a cutting reject. They like them started specifically in the direction of rope horses. Do your two-year-olds go from cow horse to rope horses or what's your transition for your colts? Well, if that's the nice part about the two events, to me, there's so many similarities that they all get the same foundation. You know, and the two-year-old year, into the three-year-old year even, uh, we got to have that same foundation on those horses to have the fundamentals to be 
soft in your hands, soft off your feet, and be able to put the manipulate the horse's body so that they're using themselves uh, to the best of their ability um, based on their their disposition if they're good-minded and willing to learn as well as their athletic ability. What um what what time of day do you ride your rope horses? Do they get saved for the end of the day fun relaxing time or do you start in the morning on rope horses? What's your what's your schedule like? That's all based on what's coming up next, right? So we have uh you know a big rope infertility coming up. First thing in the morning, we're going to get rope horses work, make those horses the priority that, that week or whatever it might be. Um, I would say most generally we'll work the cow horses first in the mornings. Um, I work out of a facility with five other trainers. So that plays into a big piece of my scheduling. And, and a lot of times uh, myself and the other trainers are working cow horses also, you know, also uh, so we can get those horses work together and not have to be in each other's way um, where the, they can be more efficient. And then I'll work rope horses in the afternoon when those guys are done working their cow horses. As promised, I want to stop right now to talk to you about the Ecolux bamboo gear, which is made from organic bamboo, the fastest growing plant on the planet that's a sustainable, renewable resource that you can feel good about having next to your horse. Thriving on very little water and without the use of pesticides or fertilizers, bamboo is a natural and biodegradable fiber with a small environmental footprint. The benefits don't stop there though. Bamboo is also moisture wicking, antibacterial, breathable, hypoallergenic, and resistant to UV rays, making it the ideal fiber for equine gear. Available in cinches, rope and mule tape halters, leads, lunge lines, reins, and makatis, Ecolux line has something to offer every tack room. Visit your local Weaver Leather dealer today to view the entire Ecolux bamboo gear line. I got to see these products at the Dallas Market Show this year, and I am telling you, they are absolutely impressive. Visit ridethebrand.com backslash Ecolux to check them out. So... October is probably, is that your crunch time with the rope horse maturity and the snapple bit maturity at the same time? Do you, how, like, how, do, what are the logistics of getting your crew out there and how many horses do you usually take? Yeah, it's a crazy time that, that whole snapple bit maturity and rope maturity being on top of each other. Um, there's been a couple of years here recently where I just didn't feel like I could get both prepared properly. So I chose the, you know, cow horse fraternity the last couple of years, the year before was just the roping. Um, and, but yet I've got, you know, uh, friends in the business that do both and that it's, they're, they're doing a good job with it. And I feel like a lot of that is depending on the numbers, number one, how many you've got and the quality of the horse. You know, if you're, if you're trying to make something that's not, and you really got to work right to the very last minute to see if you can get the best out of them. Um, then that requires a little more, you know, uh, prioritize prioritization on that, that particular kind of horse. It's a, it's a crazy time, but it, it, we used to always have a lull in the, in the year somewhere. It's, I think it's gone. That lull is just, yeah. we don't have a slow time anymore. So no, I was just talking to the guys about that this morning because we're trying to schedule our team roping journal photo shoot and it was always the week after Guyman, no big deal. Yeah. Now there's like however much added in 60,000 of an event added in Corpus Christi <laughs> and there's like 
qualifying rounds every single day and yeah. there's no way like i i don't know i'm gonna have to just get the guys coming through to Greeley, maybe I, in my <laughs> arena i don't i don't know right when i'm gonna get anything done it's because half the guys you know half of the top 30 in the world are also showing in the rope horse maturities which is yeah. just such a thing tell me about do you have colts for the rope horse maturities this year um so i have yeah, I have a handful, um, four-year-old and a six-year-old for both ends, a four-year-old heel horse and a five-year-old. Uh, so there's a little bit spread out uh, age-wise, but um, it's been, oh, it's been a nice, uh, a nice thing to see the Jay and Lindsay have been working really hard at trying to get the limited division and the four-year-old incentives where they pay a little more money uh, to make it uh, attractive for our customers to be able to take a chance on say a four-year-old and and me competing against the NFR guys you know knowing that that's a reach uh, no matter how good that horse is so we have to be realistic about that and uh, you know pick and choose where and when we're going to enter and the other nice part about it is having them be six year old and, and younger, it gives that owner, you know, a couple of years to have some leeway there on, on deciding really if their horse is ready to go or not. And, and if they have a bad year as a five year old, you still got one more shot at it. So yeah, it's a, it's a good thing. Absolutely. Uh, what, do you have a particular bloodline that you're riding a lot right now in the rope horses? Um, not specifically, no. And I mean, our, our bloodlines for the performance horse industry is pretty, um, there's a lot of similarities there. And I see, uh, I see more ho horses lately that are starting to be crossed, maybe on some running blood, maybe something a little bit outside the box, get a little more size bone to them. Cause our performance horses kind of went the other way a little too drastic and i think it was a lot of line breeding and, and similar bloodlines you know that got all yeah. the all the cutters and cow horse that were winning everything were bred very similarly so i see that happening and breeders taking chances on trying to get an outcross to get that horse that still has a really good mind and a lot of athletic ability yet has some size and speed to it um, that I feel like we kind of lost out on that the last few generations of horses here. So long story short, the bloodlines that we're, we're riding mostly are highbrow cat and Pepto Boonsmo type horses. There's some shining sparks still in there. And, uh, you know, the, obviously the newer sires like metallic cat has made such a huge impact on the cutting and cow horse business that it's trickling down into the roping right now as well. So, those are the kind of horses that they're crossing with Frenchman's guide. Um, I have a streak of fling horse that's by a, or that's out of a Pepto and shining spark bread mare. Um, so we're seeing those, those horses start to hit the scene right now. Yeah, it sure seems like it. I'm, I'm excited for my friends at Myers quarter horses. They're Frenchman's guide. I mean, it's hard to say that Frenchman's guy is getting even bigger because he was like the biggest thing Oh yeah, that happened in Barrowley, but it's so nice to see all the ropers starting to cross on him, you know, more and more too. Yeah. And that's, I mean, like I said, the, the, 
the soundness issues, you know, the, the trouble we have keeping these performance horses going for a long period of time, especially when we're putting a lot of intensive training on them at a young age, um, that bone and, and bone density and just the size of their legs and feet um, is so critical. And, and I think that we were, we were sacrificing a little bit of that to get the performance, you know, get the speed and get the quickness um and the good cow instinct and stuff like that out of these horses and now it's uh i think a turn for the better on genetics for people to start prioritizing that again yeah absolutely now you said your schedule is getting crazier and crazier did you were you able to duck off the dynamite or rancho rio or, or anywhere to just purely fun team rope this winter a little bit yeah a little bit we have some chances there um late november early december uh getting ready to go to the world series finale you know getting geared up for that and we were able to go get some some small jackpots in and so that was fun um and then since it got canceled that that allowed us some flexibility to go to some other ropes at wickenburg rancho rio and some of those um system such a great area for that and it's a great place to get our young horses out especially when i've got some clients and stuff like that that i'm helping that are lower numbered i can use those younger horses that are a little green and go get them seasoned and get confident with them in a competition setting you know and, and not put a lot of pressure on them uh, for the high speed and stuff like that right away so yeah it's we're uh, we're blessed to be in this this neighborhood for the events that we're doing yeah absolutely now as far as the world series stuff do you get do you have like an old campaigner that you keep around for yourself it's purely fun or do you um do you ride all client horses at these deals well one of my longtime client slash friends uh, the greenbergs they've been with us for a long time and uh, I've been riding one of their horses at, at the World Series Finals since he was a four-year-old, and I think he's 11 now. But, yeah, he's my he's my go-to money horse. He's just been super solid all along the way. And uh, he's an easy Odie whiz out of a Colonel Freckles' daughter and got started in a reigning program here in Scottsdale. And we ended up with him as a three-year-old, and um, he just – was one of those that was kind of born to be a team roping horse. He just loves it. That was never any issues in the box. He could haul him like I took him to the World Series finals when he was four and it was no big deal. And he's just been rock solid. So I like having him in my back pocket when I want to just go have some fun and, and rope for myself. That's awesome. Now are you um are you teaching a lot? What part of your day is working with non pros and amateurs? Well I, if, if you ask any of them, they probably say my time management isn't as good as it could be <laughs> because I have a tendency to try to, to do it all, you know? So I think, well, I can get these four open horses work before I give three lessons and before all before lunch. Right. So I get everything crammed in there and most of the time it works out, but sometimes it backfires on me and I end up rushing through some of the stuff, but uh, I would say I try, I try to schedule lessons, you know, like two days a week, Tuesday, Thursday. And uh, that way I can concentrate on my open horses and what I need to get done the other three days of the week 
as well as those lesson days and then be a little more um, focused and a little more attentive to my customers' needs when, when we're actually having lessons and, you know, spend good quality time so that they get a good quality lesson and, and try to get uh, some improvements made in them and their horsemanship and their horses. Is there anything you're working on in your own roping right now? Anything you're struggling with or, or working through? For myself, um, just mainly consistency, uh, especially on the human side. Uh, I watch those guys, you know, the the greats, and they're all so disciplined that they never take a bad shot. And so that, to me, is one of the things that I constantly work on, of having that discipline to just stay with the mechanics, be consistent, take a good shot every time. Um, and the head inside, I would say I have a tendency to let my horsemanship override my roping ability as far as prioritizing that. And so anything I feel in my horse can distract me from my roping. And so I've been working on trying to make the roping a little bit more of a priority, let my horse kind of work, you know, without being so picky and without being so disciplined on, on having everything just right. And reaching a little bit more in the head and, you know, taking a little further through and, and just, uh, yeah, concentrating on, on catching and, and not worried about my horse so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard, isn't it? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it's, uh, you know, I teach it all the time and I'm constantly, you know, wanting to have th those little finer points better and better. Uh, so it does, it distracts you from the actual roping sometimes. I get it. I think I, I hear that from a lot of horse trainers. You, you're obviously not unique in that. <laughs> well, and the other side of it is pretty much everybody that I help, I have to go the other way with. They all, um, most ropers prioritize the roping, right? And that they, they got to catch. Number one is catching the cow. And so I would say 90% of my lessons, I have to teach them that it's okay not to throw your rope or it's okay to miss. Um, or it's okay to not turn the steer, even if you do catch, you know, fundamentally. So that's, that's a struggle, but it's good because it reminds me of that, that priority. Yeah. I think you and I did a, a win a day with you once upon a time and we spent the whole, most of the day we weren't roping any cattle. We were working on horsemanship. Uh, <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> You want to make a group of team ropers mad, just load the steers and don't let them rope. <laughs> load the steers and give them snapple bits. So yeah, I remember I, <laughs> I remember said uh, for that window day, we said, okay, you know, for everybody has to bring a snapple bit. And that was a big problem because most of them didn't even own one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Well, did you uh, get yourself a qualification spot for Vegas already? Well, I guess if you were going in 2020, you're still going to make it in 2021 then? Yeah, so we um, enter as a legacy team, the two partners that I rope with. So uh, we chose to get the refund um, from 2020. And I haven't heard how that all is going to shake out um, as far as if they're going to do a pre-entry again, or if we got a qualifier or, or any of that, but the schedule for us doesn't change much. We try to hit the usual 
World Series qualifiers, whether we're trying to qualify or not, and you know the ones around here, um, and then try to hit some out of state during the summer. Oh, really? Are you going to make it to the U.S. finals, or do you have a uh, something nope. overlapping? No plans on the U.S. finals. You know, we've got uh, family stuff, so we're going to try to get some vacation in. Try to get um, one. My youngest boy is on a competitive dance team, so. We're going to have to spend a little time this summer traveling for that, which is, uh, it's really out of our element of mine anyway. Um, just a completely different world. Right. So it's, it's really fun to see his passion and love for that to, to, you know, put the time and effort into being competitive in that. It's pretty cool. It's, I mean, my kid's only four, but I still live for sitting and watching her play soccer because it's oh, so yeah. much less stressful than like oh my god if we were junior rodeoing right now my stress level would be at a 10 and there would just be so much to worry about and it's, it's so nice to jump into another world of something that mom doesn't have to be the coach at mom it, i don't have to worry about packing a horse trailer awesome. right <laughs> <laughs> that's probably yeah. a difference for us because our, our older boy is into the horses quite a bit bryce and he's I actually won the youth world show in the boxing a couple of years ago, um, following in his mom's footsteps. She also won the world championship there. Um, so mm -hmm. that's fun, but, um, he's into football also. So we're, we're like everybody else, I think going nine different directions and trying to be the best at all of it. And, um, just happy that we have the resources and each other to go enjoy all that stuff. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Brad. I appreciate it. I'm glad we got to do this. Me too. I was glad to be on. Thank you, everybody, for sticking around today. Uh, this show was brought to you by the Ecolux Bamboo Gear Line by Weaver Leather. Check them out at ridethebrand.com backslash Ecolux.